0: Hmm? Ah. I just met a man that I'm actually going to interview tomorrow on my podcast who has written a book called Why Women and it's for making the case for including women in the corporate environment. And he goes out as a consultant for corporations and does a lot of public speaking about this. And one of the first things he says on his website is if you want to know what the woman experience is, ask her and then listen.
1: Well it was in my childhood oh, Lord, many,
2: many long years ago. Hi D ho you boys and girls out there in Podcast Land. It's been a while since we've had an installment of our Breaking the Glass mini series about gender race and making it in the biz. In today's episode, we delve a bit deeper from a sociopolitical as well as practical standpoint on the question of what we realistically should be expecting by way of change. This is one you won't want to miss. One of my objectives of this miniseries was to have as many episodes as possible actually produced by women. Well, today's one such episode is my friend, Radio Film School regular and Breaking the Glass co-producer Yolanda Conkren takes the wheel on this one. We'll cover some familiar territory we've covered before as a refresher to the overarching themes of the miniseries, and we'll get into some brand new, never-before-heard content on the show as well. But before we get started, I just want to give a huge thanks to the companies that helped make both the podcast miniseries and the Breaking the Glass film series possible, Video Blocks and Song Freedom. VideoBox is a premium stock footage subscription service for accessing high-quality HD and 4K stock footage from their library of over 115,000 clips. Go to videobox.com/rfs to sign up for a free 7-day trial or sign up for the year plan for only 99 bucks. And if you need anything from sweeping cinematic scores to popular mainstream music to be legally licensed, look no further than Song Freedom. Go to songfreedom.com slash radio to unlock a free standard go level license worth thirty dollars. That's songfreedom.com slash radio. Alright, without further ado, on with the show.
3: Hello again, beloved Breaking the Glass listeners. It's Yolanda T. Cochran back in the driver's seat once more after a long time away. It's feeling like the Breaking the Glass series has been on something of a hiatus for just a touch too long, while Ron and I have been occupied with other passion projects. Ron producing and crowdfunding for his inspiring documentary Invisible Illness, directed by his wife Tazra, and me concluding a draft of a sci-fi feature screenplay that I've been writing with my husband J.D., also a Radio Film School regular. You know, I've really been missing this show, though, while we've been away, and so I texted Ron a few weeks back and I said, hey, what's up with breaking the glass? At this point, he was in the throes of crowdfunding, and I knew that was going to be the case, so I said, I'm happy to take up the baton and produce and edit an episode. Then, admittedly, once I sat down to the task, and before I fully digested the source material for the episode, I was thinking to myself, what are we really accomplishing here? Are we really having any impact? Is this worth all this time and effort? In an age of ubiquitous social media and armchair outrage, advocacy, and protest, not to mention the fractured and wholly dysfunctional political construct we have in this country, attempting real impact is a daunting prospect. Maybe we're putting ourselves through an exercise of rehashing the same old topics, time and again to no constructive results. Maybe we're doing nothing more than making ourselves exhibit A for the kinds of people who are really part of the problem by saying we, and in this instance, we being women and advocates of women, do nothing but complain rather than just doing the job and being qualified, air quotes, and thereby achieving success simply by being capable and showing up. There are those perspectives that have come up on the show including from voices that have been friends of Radio Film School.
4: You know, there was the one woman, the the white woman, who had been an assistant editor for 20 years.
2: Right, right, right.
4: And at 15 minutes and 28 seconds in that piece, she said, in response to something that had gone on with her, with her editor, she said, I knew at that time I needed to go back to my desk and work harder than I've ever worked before.
3: So that was Chris Fenwick professional in post production and host of a popular podcast series called Final Cut Grill or FCPX Grill if you're so inclined to try and check it out.
4: But that statement sent up a gigantic red flag to me. And that and what that statement told me is that for the previous 20 years, she had not been working as hard as she could have been working because she knew that she had more to give and she was going to go back to her desk and she was going to give more so maybe the reason she's an assistant editor and not an editor is that for the last 20 years she's been pulling punches
5: i'm about to explode come with me now get low i'm about to uh.
3: I'd venture to say that zeroing in on the one misstatement from a female Breaking the Glass panelist among a litany of evidence of gender bias in her working environment is exhibit A of the problem. In fact, my husband JD felt so strongly it sparked a follow-up recording in response. If you haven't already, check out Breaking the Glass episode 6A, Stand on a Chair Part Two. In addition to a refreshing male perspective, it's a real hoot. Perception.
4: But it like, when I heard that story, I'm like, that's why I said, I want to be the mother <laughs> that kicks the mother off the chair. Who's, stand, who's a jack <laughs> stands up. Like, I don't give a f- about that bull. <laughs> I've
5: heard the sacred wisdom. I am here. It was a vision that we'd all break. It is written. Leave this third dimension prison. And I heard our time is now. Each got a message and know how to evolve to something else but to fly our cosmic self. I'm about I'm 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 to. Uh. Explode. Explode. Explode.
3: Explode. Explode. For those of you familiar with the show or not, I've worked for over 20 years in entertainment in various capacities, but the bulk of the last 15 years or so have been in production management, mostly from the side of the production company or studio. I won't bore you with the details of that other than sharing a bit of an anecdote. Part of my responsibility was to set policies and standards for production reporting back to the production company, as well as getting wrapped documents and assets back at the end of principal photography. Let me paint a picture for you. Let's imagine my studio decides they want to reshoot a scene in a movie that wrapped principal photography three months ago. Here's the situation. No one, and I do mean no one, who was involved in the shooting of the picture, save the director and the producers, is around anymore. In fact, everyone is likely to be off on some other remote location shooting another film. In fact, my own studio could be in the heat of prep or two weeks from shooting its next film. I've got a staff of three who handle all the productions, whether they be in prep, shoot, or post. Now, me and that tiny overworked team need to locate the wardrobe, props, and set deck that was involved in the scene in question. The scene that's going to be reshot. Hmm. You remember that scene at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark when the ark is stored in a box in a giant warehouse amongst a sea of boxes? Yeah. The number of hours me and my team would need to spend and the relative ease of locating those pieces critical to the continuity of the upcoming reshoot or additional photography is directly proportional to how well the production teams followed our wrap instructions for packing and labeling wrap boxes sent from the shooting location to our designated storage in Los Angeles, typically some remote, dusty, and extremely hot and unventilated facility in the valley. You get where this is going, right? Mind you, over the years, and with enough experience and lessons learned, me and my team perfected the standards such that no request was going to arise that we can handle quickly and nimbly, no matter how small our team was. We had a system, a tight ship, if you will, and with that system came a fair share of complaints about it from the folks on the ground who'd eventually be long gone by the time Post was in full swing. That is, until we met and hired the man who ruined it for everybody. That man was Heath Howard, production coordinator extraordinary. He's moved on to production supervising now, but I digress. We thought our system and standards were beautiful until we had stuff turned over from Heath and his team usually before we'd even had time to request it. We were blown away by his detail and organization, and he made it look easy. So just like that, we went from, do we ask and expect too much from these people? To why the can't everybody do this? Heath clearly did it without breaking a sweat. So what does any of this have to do with this episode or with gender equality, you ask? Well, my friends, Ron and I started the Breaking the Glass series because we wanted to A. highlight the existence and pervasiveness of gender inequality in entertainment, and B. and perhaps more importantly, identify solutions. But here's the crux of it. Both he and I, to varying degrees and at various times, have questioned ourselves, questioned each other, and questioned the population at large. Can we really bring about a change? And if so, how long should we be expecting that change to take? But suffice to say, just like my friend and colleague Heath eviscerated the bar of expectation for everyone else who come armed with complaints and excuses, so has Ryan Murphy, creator and showrunner of such hits as Glee, American Horror Story, Scream Queens, and the recently released Feud, among others. And by the end of the episode, we expect you'll understand why. Let's start first, though, with our guest, Julie Harris Walker, host of The Other 50% A Her Story of Hollywood, another great podcast on gender equality issues in the entertainment business. We caught Julie in the early days of her podcast that's now going strong, and she's since added a series for women in tech.
0: I'm interviewing successful women in Hollywood to hear their stories. And it's really like a let's sit and have a cup of coffee and talk for an hour. So it's really intimate, in depth. And what I initially wanted to explore was, you know, there's a lot of chatter about, you know, Jennifer Lawrence's pay inequality and things like that. And people were talking about actresses and famous people. And I thought that is interesting and it's important, but it's not terribly relatable to me. You know, I'm sorry she got 15 instead of 20 million. And yes, of course she deserves $20 million. But how does that affect my life? Um, So I wanted to talk to the women who are really in the trenches in Hollywood, working the business, working their way up and having families, raising children I knew many of them were the breadwinner in their family. And I just wanted to explore, what has your experience been? How hard has it been? Or how easy has it been? What kind of things do women have in common? Because just anecdotally, I knew a lot of female executives who were the breadwinner in their family. And that is really interesting to me right now. Like, How do you negotiate that in a relationship knowing that women still have 80% of the household and child rearing duties. How do you know, negotiate that while being a big executive? So I just started talking to women and asking them these stories. And I got to tell you, it is so delicious and illuminating and inspiring. And I'm talking to the kind of women where when I was coming up, I saw them on this big pedestal, like, You know, when I was just starting out in the business, I would see these vice president women who seemed so powerful and had it all together and were so smart and so untouchable and getting to just sit and have these intimate conversations with them now and sensing what it's like for younger women to be able to listen to that conversation that they don't necessarily have the opportunity to have, Mm -hmm. I think is incredibly inspiring as to what's possible for people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is there... Been some, you said it was illuminating. Is there something that has particularly stood out to you or maybe even surprised you from the interviews you've done?
0: Um, yeah, you know, some of the things I completely expected. Uh, but, like, I ask every guest two questions. Are you a success? And are you a badass? Hmm. And for women, are you success? Ooh, that's hard for them to say Yes. Um, It is very rare. You know, Yolanda said, yes, and I'm a badass. Like, (laughs) she owned it. And I was like, you're the first one who has. Yeah, yeah,
2: that is. uh, That's our Yolanda.
0: (laughs) But I've talked to, you know, executive vice presidents, and they're like, well... You know, if I'm feeling really confident that day, yes, I'm a success. But, you know, there's still all these goals I want to accomplish, so I don't see myself as a success yet. And then I have to tell them, like, from an objective point of view, you are wildly successful. (laughs) They're like, I guess. I've been lucky. Come on, sisters. (laughs) You have worked your ass off for that. Own it.
2: Okay, so this speaks right to really a topic that started this whole series that I'm doing right now. Anyway, this which was this think like a man episode I did on my show and I don't know if yeah. you had a chance to hear it. Did you get a chance to hear it?
0: Oh yeah, I've listened to it. And I was listening to the first episode in the series you're doing right now just this
2: morning. Oh, okay, cool. So,
0: I have some opinions about that.
2: Well, I, I definitely <laughs> want I definitely want to hear it, but uh but it all goes to this mindset that seems to differentiate between men and women in terms of how they look at themselves and you know, like e for instance, even in the trailer for the for the film series that we're doing, you know, it starts with a story by one of the women on the panel, um, Nichelle Proto, who's a VP, and she says she she shares how she feels like one of her failures is that, um, basically not owning it throughout her career, and how she noticed that with the men she's worked with, like men had no trouble owning it, and it wouldn't even matter how small it is that they did, like they make sure people knew what they did. Like, no matter how small. and
0: Oh, yeah, I heard that. <laughs>
2: yeah, and so, uh, so first of all, tell me, what do you think about that? And then I want to hear your, you said you had some opinions about the whole Think Like a Man thing. I want to hear about that, too.
0: Um, well, I think there's a few different parts of it. One is, and I think Sheryl Sandberg nailed it, we have to think like a man in that, um, like the data shows if a woman's going for a job and there are six qualifications, she has to have seven of those qualifications before she thinks she's ready to put herself forward for it.
2: Right.
0: A man will see the six qualifications and be like, I think I got one of those. I got it. Throw me in. I can do that job. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so in that instance, yeah, think like a man. You can do it throw yourself in there. And I was recently in a, in a situation myself where I was interviewing for a job and I had five and a half the qualifications and everything in me wanted to hold back. And I kept saying to myself, act like a man, act like a man. Yes, I can do that job. <laughs> like I can figure it out. I know I can, but it took a lot of self-talk for me to get there. Cause my instinct was, Oh, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> So that, that's, that's one aspect. I think we need to own our self-esteem, own our confidence, say yes, know that you can do it. I think women spend a lot of time waiting for permission, waiting to be discovered, like not just as an, as like an actor, but waiting to, be sco- waiting to be discovered as in, oh, she's smart, she's talented, let me help push her forward in her career. I think we hang back and wait. So in that aspect, I think women need to be a lot better at, well, see, here's the catch-22. The data also shows when women promote themselves, they're penalized for it, and it doesn't give them the effect they were looking for. When women promote each other, it goes a lot further. And that just speaks to unconscious gender bias.
2: It seems like there's this dilemma, obviously, where... And this also came up in the trailer where you know if you quote unquote act like a man you get penalized for it you're called a you know you call the B word what have you um, and you know one of the things that one of the things that Yolanda talked about and I don't know it, it may be the kind of thing that it's going to take a generation for us to go through before this kind of change happens but like changing and came up in that episode the think like a man episode like Basically, changing the societal norms, changing the conditioning yes. that we do with women and little girls when they're little girls, and boys, men when they're little boys, in terms of what's considered, you know, like normal for men, and what's considered normal for women, that kind of thing, so that. You know, when they become older, if a woman is more assertive, it's not she's not looked at as the b word. She's looked at as she's just being normal. And or as Yolanda puts it, that a woman can be whoever she is. She can be confident in herself, however that is. Um, and it, in and of itself, doesn't come across as being something that goes against a societal norm. And I don't know. So, so that does that mean there? We have to wait a generation of kind of that conditioning to happen before we can see any kind of real serious change.
0: God help us. We've already waited three generations. Uh, like, I totally get Yolanda's point, and I agree with her. And it's along the lines of, if there's one woman in politics, it changes her. When there's enough women in politics, it changes politics. It is about changing the society. Because, right, if if the issue is women are not acting enough like men, so they're not assimilating enough into the male culture that we've all agreed is the norm. And that is what we all have to comply to. Then, yeah, I I agree. That's a little bit of bullshit because really what needs to happen is the society needs to change Mm -hmm. so that every style and every human uh, interaction and the way that we behave as humans is valued regardless of where you are on the spectrum. I do think we still have such, and I'm going to say this phrase again, because I think it really nails it. And it's unconscious gender bias.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Because you can talk to men. I talked to a man yesterday, in fact, who sincerely believes he hires and promotes based on merit. He doesn't see gender. And I said that that would be fantastic if you were in a post-gender equality company. But the reality of it is, if you really are only hiring and promoting on merit, why is it you only see merit in males?
2: And, and you're, you're not, not him, even you're aware talking, of it. Were you talking about the proverbial you, or were you were you talking about him specifically?
0: Oh, I was talking about him specifically.
2: <laughs> is, was is that something that was borne out? Like does he only have males working for him? Is that what you is that what you've seen in this particular case?
0: Yeah, in this particular company. Um, all the, all the executives are male.
2: Got
0: it. Without exception.
3: Ron and Julie's discussion comes back to a related topic he and I touched upon on a prior episode discussing quotas and the low number of female directors in film and television. If you have a greater than 50% of the population, you know, of all walks of life, not represented... In the people who are doing a particular job where that job does not require something specific to a gender in order for them to be able to do it, clearly there is a problem there. All
2: right. So here's a couple of things uh, like one from a devil's advocate perspective. The point that's made and that's often brought up is why not – Why not hire just who's qualified, if it's a man or a woman, which is, I think, something I love that
3: idea. I love that idea. Okay. (laughs) Love it.
2: I feel there's, there's more coming to that comment.
3: Hire, just hire who's qualified. So the natural, you know, deduction then from that statement is... Because there's only so many women being hired, then that must necessarily then mean that there aren't any qualified women out there to do the job. Apparently. Apparently. I mean, that's just insane. No, what is happening? Yes, let's just hire who's qualified. Well, the problem is, again, we've come back to this conversation before. It's all about hiring practices hiring practices has an impact on who's doing these jobs. You cannot tell me that in the population of everybody that less than 10% of the available pool of directors who are qualified are actually female. It's just not the case. What's happening is those People who are qualified are not having an opportunity to get into the room and have the opportunity to be evaluated of whether they're qualified and whether their voice and their vision for the piece would be what the producers or the production company or the network sees as the direction they want to take that creative project in. They're not getting the opportunity. And so that is, that's the problem.
0: Always say that women's movement failed just to be shocking <laughs> but <laughs> i know i know it didn't fail right. but i know it is not finished because what we accomplished was yes women can be in the public sector and women can have jobs and women can do very well and women can still do 80 to 100 percent of the the housekeeping and the child care so as a result women got all the responsibility and it let men off the hook in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and i think it's because we didn't include men. Like we didn't get their buy-in to, yes, I'm going to pick up the other 50% of the household. And so I think it's not finished. And now we're in the predicament that we are. So that's just to say, I think it is vital to include men in the conversation. And I know, and I know many of them personally, there are men who cannot even hear this message from a woman. They can't even hear it. They don't believe it. It doesn't go in. They don't even know what you're talking about. They can't comprehend any of the examples. I think it's going to take a lot of men seeing it, calling it out, recognizing it, and telling their bros.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Uh, so you, your comment about, you, know, you thought about me hosting this podcast. And I don't know if you got to it in the listening yet. But that, like the first official episode of the series, that's exactly mm-hmm. what it was about. Like me struggling with that question like am I the right person to be the voice of this particular mini series should I be the one hosting it and you know, ultimately coming down to the decision that you know I want to you know work with other female producers actually I don't know why I didn't think about you but um, having female producer guest basically guest female producers for the miniseries because I recognize that one there are gonna be questions that I'm not even gonna think to ask guests. Because i'm not a woman and um so having a female producer in, the, in those lines but also just having the voice of women being um if not the majority at least a large percentage of the voice you hear in the miniseries not just through me as the host interviewing women but other women as producers doing their own little this american lifestyle uh segment of each episode
3: It's interesting to contemplate. Ron, on occasion throughout this series, has rightly posed the question, are there behaviors and actions among women themselves that may be lending to upholding the inequities? Great question. And taking a look at that, one might flip it and say, what can women be doing to help themselves? Two answers to that question are A, women should advocate and promote other women, And B, women should shine a light on and expressly call out inequities when they happen. Sounds logical, right? But what happens in the real world when women attempt to make this kind of impact and change the course of their realities? Courtney Daniels is an actress, producer, and owner of Busted Buggy Entertainment. Courtney's completed more than one feature film and knows a bit about this topic. Both she and Julie pinpoint the flaws inherent in these seemingly simple solutions. Here's a perspective from Courtney.
5: There are women in extremely high levels of power in the studios. They're at the top. Yet they are approving these shows cutting the the woman and not the man. That unfortunately there isn't a lot of sticking together and and that's what's going to change things. That if you look at any cause it's people sticking together and fighting for each other and that's not what happens. They, they're they at the top of their game and they can't look like they're supporting women and that's their agenda and therefore they allow this sort of thing to take place. If you want to see change, women have to work together together and men who believe that women's brains work just as capable as another man's and can find the cures to cancer and we passed all of the same classes in high school and college that a man did, just because we're a woman doesn't mean that we don't have the same capabilities. And and men have to agree and support that.
3: Here again, Julie makes yet another salient point on this train of thought.
0: Women are afraid. It is very risky to call out gender inequality. And if you've attained a certain amount of success, you are afraid that will end. I approached a woman who I really wanted to have on my podcast, because she's very successful and she is a badass, and she was like, I think it's so important what you're doing, I'm so excited about it, but I'm a single mother and I can't afford to take that risk. So I will pass, thank you very much.
3: Over and over and over, Ron and I have both contemplated and expressly asked ourselves and our guest, what are the solutions? What practical, tangible, and effective practices can we engage in to turn this around? And whatever the answer to that question, it would seem that change will take some time. But then again, there's the example of those like my friend and colleague, Keith Howard. When I and women like me ask ourselves, Am I asking and expecting too much? There are those like Ryan Murphy, whose actions answer, hell no. Take a listen here to Ryan accepting the Hollywood Reporter's inaugural Equity and Entertainment Award. His speech goes a bit long, but listen all the way through and we'll talk on the other side about why change does not need to take a generation.
1: Before I talk about what I did, I wanted to talk about the unacceptable way today That female directors are treated and marginalized in our business it's shocking to me despite the population of this country being around 52 percent female only 15 to 17 percent of the working television industry directors are women and i am sad to report that in my company up until this year we did a little better than that but not a lot as the as a business practice this should make no sense to us around 65 percent of the choices over what is washed and consumed in our country, in the world, is reportedly made by women, so women are not creating more of this content. How has this been allowed to be accepted and tolerated for so long? Literally for decades. And what I have realized in my own story is that there, and what I tell people, is there is, there is no McElvailian plot at work here. It has just been pure economic buck-passing and laziness, and that is perhaps what makes the problem even more infuriating. It's more apathy and a belief that others will fix the problem than the corporal enemies here. Institutionalism is an easy pill to digest. It goes down nice, and for the most part, people just swallow the medicine like the good good doctor asked them to because it's easier to do it that way. I did it that way. Generations before me have done it this way. What I've realized is that isn't the point. On Feud with Susan and Jessica, which I'm currently shooting, one character in our story says, men are promoted based on potential, women only by experience. And this is a 1962 period piece I'm making, and I was struck and horrified at how accurate that still is today. The truth of that statement is the point. The fact is, traditionally in Hollywood, men in power who can make a difference have chosen to mentor other men who share their ideological interests and are just like the minus two inches. That's the way it's been. But this is changing, and I want to help make a change. And for me, what I needed to do right was the correct thing, the moral thing. I had to admit my mistake, and I had to take my moment when I had it, and not accept what we've accepted in this room for far too long, which are the words, trying, working on it more than before. I felt I needed to help change the system by actually quantifying power and responsibility. Half. Not 20%. Not more than ever. Half. 50%. The population who consume our work and stories are 50% women. So 50% of the directors and the crew making these stories in my company, which employ around 500 people every year, should be half. 50% men, 50% women. Very simple. That's the new rule for me. And I also think that these women should make the exact same wage as their male counterparts if they are doing the same work. So that's what half means to me. That is fairness, and that brings inclusion. Stick the flag in the ground, make it a rule, don't bend from it, don't rely on antiquated minority training programs as an excuse, and never 49%, never ever again 50%. Because women in this country are not the minority anymore. They are the majority. So why are we treating them like they are the minority? And um, to anybody in the room, I really need help with female grips. So if you know anybody, please send them my way. And here's what else I tell people about the Half Foundation. This is maybe perhaps the most important thing to me. It was so easy. There was no laborious hand-wringing from the people above me with true power who are my economic partners on my shows. I found myself drowning in an instant ocean of yeses. Let's do this. How can I help? Let's do this on other shows too. First up for me was my boss and great friend, Dana Walden at Fox, who has two young daughters and who is more enthusiastic about this idea than I was. With Dana, I plotted out the mission of the Half Foundation, and this is it. It's just simple four steps. Number one. Hire 50% or more women, including promote minorities, LGBTQ folks, and different voices. Last year, as I mentioned, my company's batting average when it came to female director hires was around 16-17%. And after only one year, we are now at 60%. So it can happen quick. Rule number two, have every director hire shadowed by a half-foundation candidate, someone who wants to break into the business actually take new people and show them how the business works. Let them be involved on set and post and tone meetings. And what we found is maybe they will go through the process and they will want to be a director, but maybe not. Maybe they'll want to be a director of photography or an editor. Great. We need them. Number three, speak at colleges and universities, which I am starting to do. Because to me, Hollywood for too long has been about, well, you come to us. You impress us. And I feel, no, we need to go out to people and let them know there is a safe haven and a room to grow. Bring us your stories and let's make them. Because do we really need another white male anti-hero show right now? Let's add some other voices and experiences to the mix, half of them, hopefully. And lastly, number four, a scholarship program that will begin this year that will go after young women and people of color and pay their way through college so they can hurry up and get to us. After Dana, good. After Dana, I went to Gary Newman and Peter Rice and John Langraff at FX, who had simultaneously been looking at his network for a new way to bring women directors into positions of parity, and in one year, like with HALF, has also completely reinvented what is possible with the idea of inclusion and equal representation. What I have learned in only 11 months is if you have power and you want to bring positive change, Everyone will conspire around you to help you do that. But you have to speak up. You have to say it exactly and clearly what you want. And I think that the men around us in this industry, for the most part, are generationally sons of feminists or, at the very least, working mothers. And they are married to working mothers and have daughters who cried when Hillary Clinton lost. And they want to help us. They are friends and allies to be embraced. They want to change the system with us. I truly believe that.
3: Ryan Murphy proved it. In one year, his shows went from under 20% female directors to more than half. And not only that, his crews have become diverse as well. So here's what I believe now. What it takes for change to happen is for people to decide it's time for it. And until that change happens, it must be those who are in power to want that change and to be on the leading edge of it alongside those masses of women who are deserving of their advocacy. We don't need to put namby-pamby programs in place and wistfully dream of some far-off utopian future. We don't need to kick the can down the road anymore. We need to smash the hell out of that can and let it be done. Because guess what? People like Ryan Murphy ruined it for everybody. Yeah.
5: I'll honor my word as me and I will put myself on top i On my own total I know my soul, it will not let me drop Like Diddy and biggie, baby, I won't stop, no, I won't stop Call me a firecracker, now you're after all I got
3: Breaking the Glass is a Radio Film School miniseries and a production of Dare Dreamer Media with production help from Ron Dawson and yours truly. If you have a story about something good or bad that happened to you in this business as a result of your gender, whether you're a woman or a man, we'd love to hear it. You can record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to Radio Film School at DareDreamer.fm, or you can go to our website at DareDreamer.fm and use the Send a Voicemail button at the bottom of end page. We just might use it on the show. Music for this episode was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to tracks are in the show notes. And speaking of music, Song Freedom has a huge library of songs from every genre. And they're your best source to license music from mainstream artists like The Lumineers, American Authors, One Republic, and Kobe Calais, or classic tunes from the likes of Sinatra, The Temptations, Bob Dylan, and more. Go to songfreedom.com slash radio and sign up for a new account, and you'll get a free standard license worth $30. That's songfreedom.com slash radio. We thank Song Freedom again for their support.
5: feels like my own death. We are together. It's forever. We are a team of friends. The clock ain't ticking. The world's transformed. Now-
3: Breaking the Glass is also supported by VideoBlocks, a subscription service to license premium HD and 4K stock footage. When you go to videoblockscom slash RFS, you can sign up for a free 7-day trial that'll allow you to download up to 140 clips from their main library. If you like what you see, use that same link and you can get their year plan for as little as $99. The normal rate is $79 a month you'll get unlimited downloads from their library of over 115,000 clips. You also get access to their marketplace of over 1 million user-generated stock clips at rates as low as $20 to $30 cheaper than any other popular stock sites. So remember, that's videoblocks.com RFS. Another great way you can support the show is by leaving a rating and review in iTunes. Let us know what you think. You can follow Ron on Twitter at dream Ron and you can follow me at Rat in a Wheel with underscores between each word. And you can follow the show at Radio Film School. If you like this episode, share it on Twitter or email it to a friend you know who needs to hear this message.
5: Inside, that, mine, anew, monkey see, monkey
3: so that's our show this time. It sure feels good to be back. And before we sign off, I leave you with this quote from Zora Neale Hurston. Sometimes I feel discriminated against, but it does not make me angry. It merely astonishes me. How can any deny themselves the pleasure of my company? It is beyond me.
2: You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression.
5: Hmm. Ah! Oh hmm. Cats to go!